Well, hey now, thanks for joining me today for some retirement news for the week ending July 23rd. First up, Portland looks like shit. So I found this Instagram account that I'm finding quite compelling, and it's called uh, Portland Looks Like Shit. Uh, you can find it at, at Portland Looks Like Shit, all one word. And as I look through it here, um, this guy basically has gone through town documenting what a shithole Portland, Oregon has become. And it's it's an interesting thing. If you do live on the West Coast, you see this kind of stuff every day. I'm talking about people shooting themselves up, people passed out on the streets, uh, cars on fire, people smoking crack. Um, do they smoke crack anymore? Or is it just all meth? I don't know. Um, people, uh, you know, cars burning, all this, all this shit. But if you're if you don't live on the West Coast, if you don't live in a town that's filled with hypodermic needles and human waste and tents and shit. Um, I, it's, it's definitely a cautionary tale and definitely worth looking at and worth showing your kids. Hey, you know, if you get addicted to drugs, you're going to end up like these fuckers that are out on the street and it's uh, frightening. So anyway, uh, it's become kind of controversial. People are, of course, there's a backlash that this is just, you know, um, making fun of human suffering and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's cruel and it's, it's all this and that, but it's worth checking out. Yeah, we'll just we'll just, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. It's worth checking out. Um, Portland looks like shit on Instagram. Anyway, uh, next up, funding your emergency fund with a Roth. So last week there was an article on the Motley Fool talking about using Roth IRAs as an emergency fund, and I had kind of forgotten about uh, the fact that I had done this for my emergency fund a couple of years ago, uh, and it's a surprisingly effective plan as long as you do it right. So let's say you're hoping to save up to the point where you have, say, a nine-month fully funded emergency fund for yourself and your family, or or it's six months or three months or whatever the hell it is. But you probably hate the idea, if you're anything like me, of having that money sitting in a savings account or a checking account earning a half a percent interest. So how do you put your emergency fund money to work? Meaning, how do you make it actually earn some money while keeping it liquid? So that's the that is the conundrum, and it's really common. Now, all the financial gurus rightfully tell you to have some money in reserves just in case you lose your job or some other shit hits the fan. But money in a bank account, given the inflationary situation that we're in, in real terms, is losing value every year. So here's one thing you can do that'll serve a couple of purposes. Fund a Roth IRA as your emergency savings. So why would you do that? Well, for one thing, the most important factor about an emergency fund is liquidity, right? When you need it, you don't want it locked up in a six-month CD or in some other kind of situation where you can't get to it. But you also want that money working for you, meaning you need to be able to invest it. And that's why, for me, the Roth is the perfect emergency fund. Now, I did this uh, last year and the year before where I funded my Roth and I was buying... (laughs) uh, don't do what I do, don't do what I say, uh, you know, don't do what I do, do what I say. So I was buying pink sheet gold mining stocks, like little essentially penny stocks within this Roth account. But I got to tell you, it did pretty well. But I needed my emergency fund when I bought my little uh, rental property down in Arizona last year, and I was short by about 15 grand, and I needed to pull out the money. So it worked. It worked great. I just pulled out the money. I pulled out 14 grand that I had contributed and used that towards uh, buying this place. Um, And that's, that's it. And I was not penalized. And it it was kind of a beautiful thing. So that's pretty cool, right? But the catch is, 
any gains that you've made have to be left in the account or you'll take a penalty. Now, one might argue that you need to have it in some kind of account where you can write a check from. And if you're really nervous that something is going to happen that's going to require thousands of dollars right now, doing this Roth idea might not be good for you because in general, it does take a few days to get your money out of those accounts. Um, for example, the Roth account that I used for my emergency funds, uh, it was on E-Trade, it still is. So when I needed the money, I had to sell the stocks, which settled pretty quickly. And then I had to transfer the money to my checking account. And that took about, uh, that took a couple of days to complete. I can't remember how long. All in all, I think it, it took like at most four days. So not a big deal. Um, and all the gains that I had made are still in there, still invested and still growing. Though if you have been watching the mining sector, they've been pretty stagnant for about the last nine months, but that's another story. Anyway, in 2021, Roth contribution limits are $6,000 a year or seven grand if you're 50 or older. So you can be putting $500 a month into that Roth account. Um, you can buy a low uh, low fee index mutual fund or ETF and you're good to go. If you have an emergency, sell as much of that mutual fund as you need. And as long as you're, it's as long as it's not more than you contributed to the account, transfer it back to your bank and use it to bail out your troublemaker kid out of jail, put a new roof on your house or whatever the emergency is, or take that vacation of a lifetime. For me, there have been times in my life where my need for a vacation did reach the level of an emergency. So anyway, it's just a thought. And remember, gains on your Roth grow tax-free. And once you're 59 and a half, you can take distributions from the account tax-free. It's a win-win. And really, chances are good. You're never going to need the emergency fund. So you might as well use it to accelerate your retirement savings. Okay, next up, the Atlas Shrugged Book Club. Okay, so you want to join me in a little virtual book club action? Well, I finally started reading Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, and it's completely fucking awesome. And I realized that I should have read it a long time ago. I did read The Fountainhead when I was in my early 30s. But I don't think that I, I was quite mature enough or ready to fully digest the magnitude of Atlas Shrugged until I was older. And well, now's the time. So, oh, and I'm listening to it on Audible. Um, so I walk at least five miles a day. So it's a good time for some solitary book listening. Anyway, if you have not read or listened to Atlas Shrugged, Join me. I challenge you. Join me. It's really long. The audiobook, just warning you, is like 62 hours. So it's a commitment, but I'd love to talk about it with someone. You know, I swear, if it weren't about railroads and steel, this book could have been written today and been equally poignant and timely. The conflict between two classes of humanity, the looters and the non-looters, the looters being the proponents of high taxation, big labor, government ownership, government spending, government planning, regulation, and redistribution. Uh, anyway, it's a great story. I wish I would have read it sooner, but I'm absolutely psyched to be experiencing it right now. And if you want to join me, maybe we could set up a little like Zoom meeting. I, I, I'm, and I'm dead serious about this. I think it would be cool to have a little uh, Atlas Shrugged book club. So if you want to join me, get a copy of the book and uh, email me at matt at rogueretirementlounge.com. So... Speaking of non-looters versus looters, check out this clip from the Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre documentary called The Defiant Ones. You had two kinds of guys we ran into at that time. The kinds of guys that wanted to go home at five o'clock 
and their interest in what you were doing didn't exceed the normal demands of the day for them. And those guys never lasted. Because when you're trying to push the boundaries on things, and when you're moving into different types of frontiers, you need to be surrounded by people who really believe in what you're doing. And I had never witnessed anything like that before. I had never understood that. Everything I ever did in my life, I wanted to stop doing it. So that first voice was Bruce Springsteen, and the second one was Jimmy Iovine, who was uh, the recording engineer on Born to Run. Now, when I first heard Bruce's statement that we were watching this last night, I immediately thought of Atlas Shrugged. When they were recording Born to Run, they were putting in insane hours, hours like I can't even imagine. Um, And the product, well, it speaks for itself. One of the great rock albums of all time. So Springsteen and Iovine, they are clearly in the non-looter category. Anyway, if you haven't seen The Defiant Ones, definitely check it out. You can watch it free on the Peacock streaming channel. And um, let me know if you start reading Atlas Shrugged. I guarantee it will be one of the most important books that you'll ever read. Okay, crypto news for the week. So after almost breaking down below the $29,000 level on Tuesday, Bitcoin is now sitting uh, up above 32,000. Ethereum, which uh, after almost getting down to 1,700, is back up above 2,000. So did you buy the dip? Um, Well, I got to admit, I threw in a couple grand each on Bitcoin and Ether on Tuesday near the lows. So we'll see how that turns out. And yes, I totally realize I'm speculating. And yes, I'm way long on these. So the volatility does not kill me and I'm having fun with it. Also, a week or so ago, I finally opened a BlockFi account. That's BlockFi, B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And I'm liking it so far. I haven't really spent a lot of time in there yet, but it's cool to be earning interest on my crypto. And I'm thinking of moving all my Coinbase assets over to it. So if you haven't yet played with BlockFi, I'd recommend checking it out. Supposedly, if you hold cash in their BlockFi interest account, they convert it to Gemini dollars and then pay out uh, over 8% interest on it. So maybe that should be your emergency fund. Anyway, check it out. I'm still exploring, but it's impressive so far. And if you're wanting a feature by feature comparison of BlockFi versus Coinbase, Investopedia has a pretty exhaustive rundown of the features and the pros and cons of each. And there's a link to that article uh, in the show notes. Also, they're about to introduce a BlockFi credit card that gives you 1.5% back in Bitcoin for all purchases. Now, I'm I'm going to get this. I'm on the waiting list for it. There is a waiting list, but you should be on the waiting list too. And I have a link in the show notes. If you get on the waiting list through that link for your BlockFi credit card, it'll bump me up on the waiting list. So I'll love you forever if you make that happen. We'll be best friends. And seriously, in the long run, Wouldn't you rather accumulate Bitcoin than United Miles or some shit like that? Really? Anyway, to get on the waiting list for your BlockFi credit card, um, click the link in the show notes. So next, real quick, some legislation news. So this week, Senator Patty Murray, Democrat from Washington, uh, who is the chairwoman of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, and Congressional Rep uh, Lauren Underwood, who's a Democrat from Illinois, introduced the Women's Retirement Protection Act of 2021. Now, according to a press release, this bill was originally introduced in 2019 uh, and includes a set of provisions that are targeting some of the challenges affecting women as they plan for their financial future. 
Now, the SECURE Act gave part-time workers the ability to participate in an employer's retirement plan after three years, but this act would reduce that time frame to two years. Quote, this change will be especially helpful to the more than 27 million workers who work less than full-time, most of whom are women or caregivers, said uh, the AARP in a uh, news release supporting the bill. The bill would also expand uh, existing spousal protections for defined, for defined benefit and defined contribution plans to prevent one spouse from making decisions that might undermine a couple's retirement resources without the other's knowledge and consent. Don't ask me how they're going to manage that, but, uh, but while I'm thinking about it, uh, in the next month or so, I'm going to be uh, having a very interesting guest on, uh, a guy named William Harris, whose specialty is helping widows manage their IRAs, 401ks, and other retirement accounts left behind when their husband or partner dies. This is actually a lot more complicated than it sounds, and it's a very important topic, and I'm really looking forward to having uh, Bill Harris on the show. So look for that episode later this summer. Anyway, the Women's Retirement Protection Act would also provide grants for community-based organizations to help provide information and financial tools to women. And finally, the bill would look to support women with low incomes and survivors of domestic abuse seeking retirement benefits by providing grants to assist these women in obtaining qualified domestic relations orders, and that's the legal instruments that allow for the division of retirement benefits. So from where I sit, that's all nothing but a good thing. The gender gap in retirement planning and savings is a real thing. And there are cases where even if you're in a semi-affluent household, women can seriously get fucked over if the spouse dies, or worse, if they're forced to flee for domestic reasons. I'll keep you posted on this as the act makes its way through Congress, um, just because I think it's interesting. So this week, a Dave Ramsey Facebook post caught my eye, and it was titled, How to Invest Your Money. It was very simple. It was just a list, and I'd like to share that uh, content with you. There were two categories, what to invest in and what not to invest in. On the invest in list, there were two things, mutual funds, and then in parentheses, growth, growth and income, aggressive growth and international, and real estate, in parentheses, paid for in full. So to the uninitiated, if you see this and you believe in Dave Ramsey's reputation as a financial expert, you'd probably be wondering about exactly how to allocate your money in those four categories of fund, the growth, growth and income, etc. And if you're like 98% of the population, it will take you a decade or more to save up enough money to buy a house in cash. So why would he give this kind of advice in such like concrete terms? Well, in my opinion, to confuse you. And this confusion in many cases will lead you to seek out an advisor to show you exactly how to invest your money in these mutual fund categories. And that's where the quote SmartVestor Pro comes in. Basically, this is his referral system where you go to his website, pop in your email, phone number, and zip code, and an advisor will get in touch with you. Based on what I've read, they're going to put you in high-fee, actively managed mutual funds and charge you some fees on top of that for the advice. Uh, if you want to hear some people's experiences with SmartVestor Pros, just Google it. Uh, there are some good and some somewhat damning posts on Reddit. Anyway, the point is, Dave wants you to go with the guys in his program simply because he gets a kickback. It's good business for him. Now, what about the advice to buy real estate with cash only? Well, no mortgages on investment properties. 
That, especially in today's low interest environment, is the worst investing advice I've heard. The absolute worst. Go back to episode five of this podcast, which is titled, A Paid-Off Home Mortgage is a Sign of Financial Illiteracy, and you'll get an introduction as to why avoiding leverage is not smart. So why does Dave tell you not to use debt to buy real estate? Well, eh, yes, avoiding debt is like his pulpit, but it's really pretty simple. If you want to buy a rental property, you're going to have to be saving for the next 10 years or so to do it. So in the meantime, he hopes you'll be using one of his smart vester pros to grow your nest egg, which is going to mean he'll receive those referral fees off of you for years to come. Uh, and just on his radio show, he has a combined listenership of 16 million people. So it doesn't take much of a conversion rate to turn that into some serious recurring cash. So next up on Dave's Facebook post, he has a list of things not to invest in. And those include single stocks, Bitcoin, or any cryptocurrency, whole life insurance policies, annuities, bonds, micro-investing, REITs, ETFs, and CDs. Okay, so there's a lot to go into here. And if you talked to a hundred financial advisors, you'd have a hundred different lists of what not to invest in. But this is pretty constricting, if you ask me. So back when I first uh, quit my job, thank God I invested in individual stocks, contrary to his advice. It's definitely not for everyone, but if you diversify and if you do a lot of research and if you have a lot of time to devote to investing, buying individual stocks can give you insane gains. But in general, if safety is your concern and you don't like volatility, I, honestly, I'm kind of with Dave on this. Most people probably shouldn't buy individual stocks. Now, what about whole life insurance and annuities? Well, those would each be an episode in and of themselves. In general, here's why I don't like them personally. Because someone else is making some, if not most of the money that you put into these programs. And, and that person is not you. It's the annuity company or the insurance company. And, and I believe that the fewer people personally that are taking a taste off my investment money, the better. But that said, I am looking for a whole life guy and an annuity guy to come on the show and pitch their products just so we can get a better idea of what your real returns on these things might end up being. Next up, he says, don't buy bonds. Um, now, if you're talking about treasuries, sure. Right now, as I record this, 10-year treasuries are clocking in at 1.286% interest. So no, of course you don't want to buy that. But what about tax-free high-yield municipal bonds? Well, not to digress, but a while back, I was digging through some federal election committee filings of a congressional candidate in a state that will go nameless for the sake of this example. Um so when you run for office, just so you know, you have to disclose your assets. Well, it turns out this guy was from a very rich family and had received a ton of that wealth as hand-me-down. And a lot of that wealth was in municipal bonds that pay dividends, good dividends, tax-free. Now, rich people have been putting their money in bonds since bonds have existed. And most rich people don't get rich by being financially illiterate. So anyway, the point is, don't just rule out bonds altogether because some bald guy on the radio says to. And full disclosure, I currently own no bonds. Now, next he says you can't do micro-investing. So first off, what the hell is micro-investing? Well, generally that refers to using apps where you can put in tiny bits at a time and then buy fractional shares in stocks and the like. 
So what's a fractional share? Well, it's kind of like it sounds. If you don't have 3,600 bucks to buy a share of Amazon stock, but you want to own Amazon, you can buy five bucks worth through a micro investing app. So you've probably heard of Robinhood. There's also Stockpile, Acorns, Stash, and many others. And personally, I kind of like these apps. I used to pop a hundred bucks or so into Stockpile every time I saw an interesting Jim Cramer interview. Um, if the CEO came off like a smart guy, hell, I'd put a hundred bucks into their company. No harm, no foul. And I'd do that all within Stockpile. Um, and I did pretty good. I made uh, about 50%, if I recall, on uh, Five Below stock, which was great. Um, I took my profits and bought physical silver, but that's another story. Anyway, the other thing about micro investing is that it can be a great introduction to the whole concept of investing. If you're new to the stock market, why not put 10 or 20 bucks in a week, buy some stocks that you think might do well and see how it goes. I don't think micro investing is a long-term retirement planning strategy, but it's fun. And every 20 bucks you put into your Robinhood account and invest instead of buying a case of beer, or a couple of packs of cigarettes, is 20 bucks closer you are to financial independence. Okay, the last thing on Dave Ramsey's list of what not to invest in is REITs, ETFs, and CDs. First off, REITs are real estate investment trusts. Uh, ETFs are exchange-traded funds, and CDs are certificates of deposits. Now, these are three vehicles, if you will, that are pretty much unrelated, and there's no apparent reason why he would have grouped them together. So why doesn't he want you in to invest in any of these? Well, the short answer is this. He can't make any money off you if you do. Your Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro won't put you in any of these because the commissions and fees aren't high enough. Full stop. So you may have noticed that according to Dave, you can invest in mutual funds, but you can't invest in ETFs. That doesn't make sense, right? On paper, they're basically the same things, right? Well, Yes and no, and I'm going to do an episode comparing mutual funds to ETFs soon, so be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, if you want to follow Dave's advice, simply don't buy an ETF and definitely don't buy it through Robinhood. Seriously, telling people that they can invest in mutual funds and they can't tell e and they can't buy ETFs is absolute idiocy, and it's really a blatant tell that his advice is self-serving. So if you're part of the cult of Dave Ramsey at least keep this stuff in mind. He does not look out for your best interest. He looks out for his best interest. And he didn't make his fortune by, quote, getting out of debt. He made his fortune by creating a platform to teach people how to get out of debt, period. And a good portion of his advice is incredibly bad. Okay, that's it for this week. So remember, to check out the Defiant Ones uh, if you like a good music documentary series. It's really good. Really good. I guarantee it. Um, have a great one, and I'll uh, talk at you next week. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.